Morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Sorn. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. You know, if you think about it, there are so many ways that you and I and the person next to you and the person behind you are different from each other, right? Like, we're probably different ages. You may be a baby boomer or Gen Z. Uh, I'm a millennial, uh, about a year away from being Gen X, right? You and the person behind you, you might have different economic statuses, different skin colors, uh, different theologies, uh, different politics. Sometimes we're really different from each other. They could be a Packer fan. Oh, right. Did you wear your Packers jersey to church? That's bold. All right. <laughs> I think really the great question, one of the great questions anyways, of our culture and of our age is to what degree should all of these differences matter? Like, should we hyper-focus on our differences? Should we completely ignore our differences? There's a lot of talk out there about how we should be coming together despite our differences, and yet most of the studies say that we're actually just growing further apart from each other. And yet today, in God's word, in the letter of Ephesians, uh, we're gonna see some answers for how all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds can actually come together in unity. So grab a Bible, let's take a look at this. We're gonna be on page 799. Uh, I'd love everybody to grab a scripture. The Bibles are under your chairs in front of you or under your chair if you're in the front row. We are now on chapter two of the letter of Ephesians, uh, which was written by the Apostle Paul. It's one of the leaders of the early church. He's writing to the church at Ephesus, and in chapter two, the first 10 verses are really some of the most clear uh, words, the clearest words in scripture of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, that we can be saved by our faith, not by our works. So you don't have to earn your way to God. It's an amazing gift. It's so amazing that, in fact, you're gonna notice that the very first word of our passage today, starting at verse 11, is going to be therefore. So the idea is this of our passage. The gospel is so amazing that therefore it absolutely ought to change how you interact with other people. So that's what we're gonna see in the scriptures uh, this morning. So you wanna find the big number two, that's chapter two, and then the small number 11, and you will be in the right spot. Uh, We'll start with just uh, two verses here at the beginning. Paul says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done on the body by human hands, remember that at the time that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Okay, so Paul starts, he's talking about two very, very different groups of people here, the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, If you're not as familiar with that word, Gentile just means every other ethnic group and race that isn't a Jew. And Paul says that the Gentiles are actually missing out on a lot. They didn't know the one true God. They didn't know his covenants, particularly the covenant of circumcision. They didn't know about God's promises. They were without hope. That is, until they heard about Jesus Christ. And in a moment, God is gonna talk about how these, or Paul's gonna talk about how these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, can come together in unity. But before we go there, you need to understand historically how far apart these two groups are. The Jews did not appreciate or generally even like the Gentiles, in part because the Jews saw themselves as God's chosen people and the Gentiles were not. And also in part because at the time of Paul's writing, the Gentiles are literally oppressing the Jews. 
as part of the Roman Empire. And the Gentiles, they didn't really like the Jews either, in part because the way that God had given the Jews to live was very precise. It was a very exact way of living, in part because he had to preserve them as a people until the time of Jesus and beyond. But what that meant was that the Jews were so particular about how they lived that they never adapted into the broader culture, even if they were a minority in the culture, and many people resented them for that. And so these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, do not like each other. They don't come together. But Jesus on the cross changes all of that. Okay, so let's look at verse 13 now. Here's what Paul says. He says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, as Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, and that's the Jews. Okay, this is a bit wordy in this passage, but I wanna break this down because this is so, so important for us to understand in America in 2023. So look at verse 14. He's saying he's taken the Jews and the Gentiles and made them one, and he says he's done this, he's brought them together by destroying the barrier. He also calls it the wall of hostility that's in between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so Jesus is what you could call the barrier breaker. But how does he do that? How does he take these two groups that don't even like each other and bring them together? Well, there are two ways given here, and let's see if we can break down this passage. Here's the first way, and if you're taking notes, we'll put this on the screen for you. So two ways that Jesus can break barriers between two groups, and this could be any two groups of people, okay? It doesn't just have to be Jews and Gentiles. Number one is he set aside the regulations of the Old Testament law. This is kind of the trickier part of the passage. So this was verse 15. Did you see that he said, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations? Okay, here's what that means. Bible scholars divide what you might call like the Old Testament rules. So when you read through the Old Testament and you see all these rules about how to live, we call that the law. And the law is divided into three major categories. Here are the three categories of Old Testament law. There are moral laws, there are civil laws, and there are ceremonial laws. And when the church starts, okay, so you get to the book of Acts in the Bible, and Christianity starts only the moral law Moral just means right and wrong, so think like 10 commandments. Only the moral law remains from the Old Testament. Now, we still apply most of the Old Testament to our lives, but when you're talking about the rules, the law on how to live, only the moral law remains. The civil law, that's like how they governed themselves, that's not there anymore. The ceremonial law also goes away. Ceremonial is like all their rules for sacrifices, um, how, what to eat, uh, and what to, what to wear, all of those things are gone now because Christianity was going to become a religion that is gonna go global. It is gonna be for every tribe, every culture, and every nation. And so the removal of the civil and ceremonial laws, it breaks down this major barrier for the Gentiles and Jews because one of the re- main reasons they didn't like each other is because the Jews had all of these different regulations on how to live and what to eat and what to wear. Well, those are gone now and so they can come together. 
But there's a second way, and this is kind of the primary way that Jesus can be the barrier breaker for all sorts of different groups. And I actually wanna spend the majority of our time here. In fact, I wanna show you something again in verse 15 that is so important, I want you to put your eyes on it because I just want you to see it. So middle of verse 15, it starts right when he says his purpose. So it says, his purpose, as Jesus, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. That's out of the Jews and Gentiles. One new humanity. Thus, so that means this is his strategy for making peace. I cannot begin to tell you how important this verse is for us and our thinking here in our culture. So Paul's saying that when you become a Christian, you become a follower of Christ, you instantly become a part of this new humanity. You become a child of God. That's your identity. And that identity, as a child of God, is now the most important thing about you. And no other identifier is as important as that. Not your age, not your economic status, not your race, not your gender, not your job. Nothing is as important as this. And this new shared identity, it allows Jesus to actually break down barriers between any sorts of groups. In fact, if you're taking notes, here, here really articulated is the second way that Jesus breaks down barriers. Number two, he does so by giving us a new and higher identity, our identity in Christ, that we are children of God. So let me give you an example of how this legitimately works between people. So uh, over the last 10 years or so, um, I have traveled many, many times to Africa to do a missions work, uh, particularly in Eastern Africa. And when I am there, often my translator that I'm working with, whoever I have for the day, is nothing like me. At least according to all the sort of categorical groups that the world wants to divide us and group us by. Like for instance, I remember one time last year uh, for one of those sessions, my translator was 20 years old, so she was about half my age. Uh, she was a woman, uh, she had black skin, I have white skin. Her native language was a Portuguese and her native tribal language, uh, mine is just English. She spoke about four languages, right? So she knew a ton of languages, but I uh, knew one. She wasn't as formally educated, and I may be more formally educated. She lives in the fifth poorest country in the world, which is what Mozambique is. I, of course, live in America. And we could go on and on through all the different categories, and we basically, according to the world's categories, had nothing in common. And yet, having made so many wonderful friendships in Africa over the years, I can tell you that, honestly, I can relate better to that translator, better than I can to the guy just down the street from me in Blaine who checks all the same worldly categorical boxes as me. I mean, there could be someone down the road from me who's 41 years old, white, suburban, male, educated, but if they're an unchurched atheist and I go and have a conversation with them, even though we may look just like each other, that person sees the world completely differently than my Mozambican friends and I do. I think one of the best ways to think through this is to think back to maybe the biggest series we've ever done since we opened this building two years ago was a series called Life's Biggest Questions. This is a series that predates many of you. I can't encourage you enough to listen to this on our app even this week. What we did, this is maybe one of the most popular series we've ever done, we asked the five biggest questions in all of life and we walk through them. Now, when I, when I think through this list, like where did we come from? How do I determine what's right and wrong? What happens when I die? 
When I think through this list and I think about my neighbor who looks just like me and lives down the road from me, him and I actually don't agree on any of these things, any of them. But my Mozambican friend, who looks nothing like me, agrees with me on every single one of those issues. So what is that? That's the deep, not just surfacey, that's the deep unity that we have in Christ. And honestly, it's deeper than even that, because it's not just about thinking the same. The Bible would say we are in the same family that we are brothers and sisters in Christ because we've all been adopted by the king. It's like if you think of the old metaphor of the king adopting a bunch of street kids into his castle and then maybe six months later, those adopted kids are going out into the neighborhoods and they're talking with their friends. The main way that they would now identify themselves, it's not by their age, it's not by what they look like, it's not by what they look like to do, the main way they're gonna identify themselves to their friends is what? They're gonna say, I'm royalty, right? That's how they think of themselves. I'm a child of the king. And that's the sort of language we see in the New Testament. Elsewhere, in Galatians, Paul uses the same argument. In 3.26, he says that you are a child of God. And then he fleshes it out. He says, because of that, in verse 28, he says this, because you're a child of God, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That means there is a higher identity that you have in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that these other categories, like your race or your gender, that doesn't mean that they don't exist anymore or that they don't matter. They do. And God paints a beautiful tapestry with all of our different cultures. But it does mean that at the deepest level, We aren't ultimately defined by our biological markers or by our earthly status. And because this is true, this means that we absolutely can and we should walk across the room to people who look different than us or people who run in different social circles than we do and befriend them, especially in the church. But we've got to first see that our identity in Christ as children of God is the most important thing. Is that the most important thing about you? Your identity in Christ? Or is your economic status the most important thing about you? Or the size of your house? Or your career? Or is your age the identifier that you would most commonly use to group yourself with different people? You know, I think back to the early years of this church when we were at North Point Elementary School, uh, the first time, uh, (laughs) in the early years of this church, so I planted this church when I was 27 years old, and so in the early years, almost everybody was in their 20s, uh, maybe early 30s, and every once in a while, somebody who was 50 plus would walk in, right? And they would come, and they would be there for a few months, and almost inevitably, there are a few blessed exceptions, some of them are still here today, Almost every time, they would come to me three, four months in, and they would say, David, ah, we love this church. We love the Bible teaching. We love the worship. But no one else looks like us. Everybody is just so young. (laughs) And so we can't stay here. And see, what was happening? For them the number one way that they saw themselves wasn't as Christ follower. 
It was by their age. And so because of, that, because of that, there was a barrier up. Their age on this side, young people on this side, and they're going, no, 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 they couldn't understand me. And let me give you an important truth. You will always build barriers in your life when you see anything other than Jesus as your main identity. If your main identity, the main way you think about yourself is your race, what you will do is you will divide the world by race. And you'll say, that person couldn't understand me because they're not me. If your main identity, the main way that you think of yourself, when you think of yourself, is how much money you make or don't make, you'll say, ah, that person in my small group this year or in my extended family, they don't really get me and they could never get me because I'm here, they're here. Or I'm here and they're here. So they don't know me. See, you will always build barriers between you and other groups whenever you see anything other than Jesus as your main identity. But when you see Christ as your main identity, particularly with other Christians, Jesus Christ can break any barrier. Any barrier. And you can see this play out in real life. You can see Jesus do this even in really contentious issues like race. Let's just talk about this a little bit. Let me just say at the outset, the Bible absolutely condemns racism as sin. But I want you to understand that when the scriptures talk about racial unity, which is really what this passage is about in Ephesians 2, right? That's what it is. He's saying Jews and Gentiles coming together in the church. That's racial unity. When the Bible talks about it, its solution to racial unity is very different than secular solutions to racial unity. Secular just means non-religious. In fact, let me, let me show you two main ways that secular theory for solving an issue, say like racism, of two groups coming together, really falls short in comparison to what the beautiful solutions we get in God's word. So here we go, number one. Here's a way that secular thinking falls short. Secular theory presses deeper into our differences. And so, so many secular books and trainings that are done on this issue, and honestly, you could pick any hot button issue and it would be the same, but so many of them, what they do is they focus their efforts not on how we're similar, but on how we're different. And yes, we are different. And that's okay to learn about. That's great. That's wonderful. It's beautiful. But, but hear me on something. The pathway to bringing people together isn't by putting the focus on the differences that have kept them apart. In in many ways, I, I fear, I legitimately fear that racism is going to tragically get worse in this country if we start leaving behind the gospel solutions on how to fix this and we only just keep pressing deeper into telling people that they're different. And worse yet, we tell people nowadays that their differences should be the primary way in which they identify themselves or express themselves. But it's not gonna work, especially in the church. It's not gonna work. And remember that Paul is writing to the church here. And so Paul doesn't tell the Ephesians that the primary way they should think of themselves, the primary way they should identify themselves is as a Jew first, or is as a Gentile first. No, verse 14, he says, you should remember that Christ came to make your two groups one. One, by making them a new humanity. And Paul says that is the way to peace, to breaking down the barrier. 
not the differences. And number two, here's another way I think secular theory to solve this issue is really falling short. And that is that secular theory sees racism as a problem of the mind. It sees racism as a problem that can primarily be solved through education. And so the prevailing thinking out in the culture right now is that if people could read the right books, if we could get people to go through the right trainings at work, uh, if they could have the right classes growing up in school, then we could make racism a thing of the past. And listen, I am all for education. I absolutely believe in education. We have a massive school, Renovation U here. I'm a son of an educator. Don't hear me wrong. Education is super important, and it's important on this issue. However, we can't ultimately fix the sin of racism solely through education because racism isn't ultimately a problem of the mind. It's a problem of the heart. Okay, and this is where Christian thought is very different than secular thought. Because for Christians, we go back to Genesis chapter three and the fall of humanity in the garden, which tells us that because of that, humans are naturally sinful. And we believe humans are naturally sinful, but the secular world would say, no, 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 humans are actually good people. They just need to be educated. Now, do you see how our differences and how we think of humanity would lead to different solutions? But because we're naturally sinful, without Christ, throughout history, our default position as humans has always been to divide. It's to separate, it's to build walls, it's to look with suspicion at anybody who's older than us, or anybody who's younger than us, or richer than us, or poorer than us, or has a different skin color than us. And education, while super important, it cannot give you a new heart. But what does Paul say actually puts to death the hostility that we have between each other. What did he say? Verse 16. He says, what puts it to death is the cross. How does it do that? Here's how it works. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God gives you a new heart. The Bible says that God makes you a new creation. The Bible says that God sends the Holy Spirit to come live within you, and that Holy Spirit allows you to look at people who are very different from you and say, yeah, that's my brother. That's my sister. We're one in Christ. How does that happen? Not just through education, but through a new heart, through the power of God. It happens. I think a really great case study for this uh, is the Azusa Street Revival. A really, really fascinating book on this uh, last year. Uh, the Azusa Street Revival, if you've never heard of it before, uh, happened in LA in 1906. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to Christ. It's actually the revival that birthed the modern Pentecostal movement and charismatic movement. Well, what's interesting is 1906, obviously a, a time of uh, significant racism in our country, and yet in the revival in 1906, thousands and thousands of people that are coming to Christ, they were incredibly diverse. Now this is LA, especially in the early 1900s. And so you have all of these black and white and Asian and Hispanic people coming to Jesus. And what history tells us is that they all rallied together, arms around each other in brotherly sister in love. They just came together as one body, as new believers. All in a time of serious racial division. And I think this is a fascinating case study. Like how? How did that happen? How were they able so quickly to overcome their differences? And I would say it's because they experienced God 
in such a profound way that their deepest identity now became not what made them different, but what made them the same. That no matter what they looked like, they were children of God. One new humanity. And that's what Paul says is the way to peace. And then in the next five verses, I wish I had more time for this, but Paul, Paul discusses what Paul discusses that no matter what we look like, no matter who we are, that we're all a part equally, that we're all a part of this holy temple of God because we all have God's spirit within us. Now, I don't want you to hear, mishear me. I'm not, I'm not saying this with rose-colored glasses on, that we can all just come together with our differences and kumbaya, right? No, coming together in unity is still hard. But what we read in the scriptures is that through Jesus Christ, it's actually possible. But it does take work. Okay, you can read that even in Paul's letters in the New Testament. It was not easy for the Jews and the Gentiles to come together. You can tell this just by how often Paul has to talk to them about purely cultural things like the food they should have at their get-togethers. But Jesus Christ is indeed the barrier breaker. He is. I just talked to a man after first service who was telling me that he was just in Georgia, not the state of Georgia, but the country of Georgia. And he was in a church where there were Ukrainians and Russians They're at war. They they, they literally have family members who have been killed by the other side. But they're in the same church, worshiping God together. What could do that but Jesus Christ? And church, I think that this issue right here is so important for us as the church to display God's beauty to the culture. Because I think about this, our culture is literally looking for solutions to this exact issue and only finding more problems as they continue to just splinter people into more and more groups and more and more identities. But we, through Christ, we have the ability to come together and to set aside all of these different categories that the world wants to put on us and to say to a watching world, that's my brother, that's my sister. Yeah, we, we, we don't look a whole lot like each other. We don't live a whole lot like each other. But we are family in Christ because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And that is the most important thing.